no one likes to wait. There was a movie some time ago. Um, it was an animated movie. It was about uh, animals that were anthropomorphic, so they were kind of ran the planet and had jobs and all that sort of thing. And this one main character needed to go to a government office. I don't remember what it was, but you could tell what the author's and writer's view of government work was because as they went into the government office and service center, everyone was a sloth. And they came up to the front counter and the sloth said, how can we help you today. And as they filled out the forms, what is your name. And the person obviously agitated as we all feel right at this moment is like, this is my name. Can you spell that? Absolutely. It's, it's whatever the name is. It's Brian. B-R-I-A-N. B R. I felt so frustrated. I just wanted to fast forward the scene. But the writer clearly had a view that they wanted to communicate about waiting. No one likes to wait, right? Can I get an amen? Yeah. Amen. No one likes to wait. What's the longest time you have ever waited for anything or anyone? What's the longest time you've ever waited for something or someone? For us, for, for our family, one of the longest things we have to do is get across the border in a car. And it seems to us, we have determined that there's an actual scientifically verifiable, verifiable fact that when it comes time to crossing the border, the length of time that you will wait to cross is proportionate to someone's urgent need to go to the bathroom. That if someone has to urgently go to the bathroom, the length of time will become longer. And if you really have to go, then it will really become longer. So much so that you can choose the shortest line. And simply because you have an urgent need to go to the bathroom, all of a sudden that line will just absolutely screech to a crawl. And it will barely move forward. And every car needs to have their trunk inspected and be pulled over. And it will just take forever to get across the border. That's one of our longest times that we have to wait for anything. What about you? What are some things that you have to wait for? Maybe it's um, waiting to hear about a, a college application or a, a loan application or a, uh, a tax refund. Maybe it's a, 
a callback from a job that you're hoping to get or an interview that you had and you still haven't gotten that back. Maybe it's the results from the lab on some recent medical work you've got. Maybe you're waiting for that special someone to show up in your life. Or maybe you're waiting for that special someone to say they want to spend the rest of their life with you. That they've been in your life for a long time and now we want to move forward. You're waiting for that. Or maybe you're waiting for the news that finally your family is growing. And it's a positive pregnancy test. I think there's something to the science of waiting, regardless of my really bad scientific verifiable example of crossing the border. I think there's something to waiting that drives us even more mad, if I can say that. I think there's something to be said for uh, how difficult it is to wait on something, right? To wait for a, a delivery, but you know, sometimes it takes, there's red tape, there's processes and things, and you can't change those. No one can change those. It seems like they're almost set in stone. But it's entirely different. It's a whole different level when you're waiting on someone when you're not waiting on something to happen, when you're waiting on someone to do something, when you're waiting on that border guard to stop being the one who nitpicks about everyone going across the border, when you're wondering why a college can't hire more people to go through those college applications and get the word out faster, why can't the IRS hire more people cut down the code, make it smaller? Why can't they be more efficient? Why can't they have more people on the phone ready to respond to when you need help? Why can't HR move more quickly when your department needs to hire people and they need to approve it? Why does it need to be put in priority order? Why can't you be moved as the priority to the top of the order? Why don't you have that special someone in your life? Why hasn't that special someone in your life said they want to spend the rest of their lives with you? I think it's hard to wait on something, but it's even harder to wait on someone. The problem is, what do we do when that someone is God himself? What do we do when God is the one who could change the darkness that we're in, the circumstance that we're in, the thing that we're feeling? He could be the one to step in and make the difference. After all, He's God and you wait. What do we do? That's the whole reason for this series, Hope in the Dark. And to recap just what we've been talking about, we've been talking about how to have real faith in the real world. And the last two weeks, we've set the table for what we're going to talk about today. The very first week, we talked about how we need to recognize that we don't know what good is, that we know what bad is, we know what evil is, and we know we're not supposed to associate with that. But then when we go to associate with good, how good is good enough? How do we know what good is? We need an outside perspective. And the solution that we learn to that problem of not knowing what good is, is going to the one who is good in his very nature. 
and going to His Word and meditating on His Word and seeing how we might apply that to our lives, becoming people of God's Word. We learned last week that God really is good because He is our shepherd. He is not some distant, absent God from our lives who like a shepherd who says to his sheep, okay, I need you to get you to this pasture over here by, the, uh, by nightfall, so good luck. I'm going back home, and I'm going to grab a nap in the hammock. No, he doesn't do that. He comes with us. He guides us. He leads us to green pastures beside still waters, restoring our soul. He takes a personal interest in who we are and what we are dealing with. We can know the Lord is our shepherd. And in that, I think there's an amazing truth As we dialogue with God through His Word and through prayer, we begin to see that God does answer prayer. And that is a theological truth, that God is always answering His people in some form. It's just sometimes the answers aren't what we want. Sometimes the answer is yes, yes and amen. Sometimes the answer is no. And we can trust that because God is good, that that's good for us. But sometimes the answer is wait, and when I say wait, it's usually there's silence. And it feels like, if you know the term, it feels like God's ghosted us, you know, where we send Him a text, say, God, I need this in my life, hey, can you give me a call sometime, and there's no text back. It's like they they don't reply, He doesn't reply. I've been listening to an audio book on the holiness of God these last few days, and it said this. I think this is so helpful to understand why God makes us wait. God is holy. And what that means is that God cannot sin. If He were to sin, if He could choose to sin, if He wanted to sin, then He would no longer be holy. It's not within His nature to sin, which means that He cannot sin against you. Everything God does It's for your good. It's for your benefit. And you can trust Him in that holiness. His answers are always good. He can never and will never sin against you. So when the answer is wait, it's a good thing. When the answer is wait, It's a good thing for us. It's a good thing for our souls. It's a good thing for what we will need. The question, though, that we're going to answer today is what can we do in the waiting? What can we do in the meantime? What do we do? How can you have hope in the dark when you're calling out to God saying, help, and there's silence? Well, I want to experience what David experienced, which he writes about in Psalm 40. And if you have a Bible, uh, crack it open. Let's get to looking at Psalm 40 because what David writes about is so amazing. He writes about this experience of what he had when he was waiting on God to answer him. He writes this in Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in Him. 
David had experienced some kind of deliverance from the Lord, but that first verse is fascinating because he said, I waited for it to happen. And the way that it's described in the Hebrew, it's actually the same word. Patiently waited is actually the same word repeated twice. What it actually means is eager expectation. So in the middle of God not doing anything, David was so excited because he knew that God would eventually do something. How did he develop that kind of eager expectation? Well, here's the amazing news, is that he didn't sit back and go, okay, I just got to amp myself up and remember that God's going to do something. Okay, I just got just to, you know, sit down, close my eyes, and, and boom, it'll happen. He didn't do that. What David did in the meantime was four things. Four things that I think will help us wait patiently when the Lord doesn't answer us immediately. What David refused to do was waste the waiting. Here's how we do the same. Here's how we refuse to waste the waiting. The first thing David writes about is that he says, we can wait patiently for the Lord to work by remembering how the Lord has been amazing in the past. Look at what he says in verse 4. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, amen, who does not look to the proud, who, to those who turn aside to false gods, who look for any solution, in other words, not just the Lord's. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. We can wait patiently by remembering the amazing things the Lord has done. Remember, a solution from the Lord is always the best solution. He cannot sin against us. It will be better than any other solution. And I think when David is writing about remembering what the Lord has done, he's not just thinking corporately. He's not just thinking on the level of the nation of Israel. He's not just thinking on the benefit of, of his own family. But I think he's thinking of what God has done for him personally. I think he's thinking of the times of Psalm 23 when the Lord personally led him was with him in deep times of sorrow. We know the famous things that David was able to do, right? That he was able to become king as a former shepherd because he was proclaimed that he had a man after God's heart. And he was able to slay Goliath and he was able to establish safety from the Philistines. He was able to establish the nation of Israel. There's no fighter like him. He had his mighty men who followed in his footsteps. Uh, it, was the, it was actually the real Avengers before the Avengers actually showed up. It was amazing what David could do, and he remembered all of those things. He remembered how God worked in both the legacy of the nation of Israel, of the stories that he grew up with in, in the synagogue, in the tabernacle, where he would have learned of Moses and how God called the people out of Egypt. You know it's Easter when the Ten Commandments is on TV. It was just on last night. And it is amazing, uh, even now, how amazing that story is. And as they 
He remembers that. He remembers the things that happened personally to him. He remembers that the Lord is good because he can't be anything else but good to his people. I remember when I first left my first ministry position, um, I thought it would be nice and easy to jump into a, a new church and start to lead there. And it was two years between the time that I left and I started in a different place, in a different country, no less. And during that time of waiting, I struggled with, God, when's my time? When's my moment? When am I going to get a chance to really leverage what I've learned, leverage what I've been taught, and really jump in and serve you? And there was just this long time of waiting, and when the answer came to wait, there were so many personal benefits. Um, the housing market was going nuts in the area of Toronto. We made so much from the sale of our home, we paid off all of our student debts like that. And student debts are in the five or six digit number categories as an average. And we paid it off immediately as we came here. Little benefits, things like that. Moving in, having a family, having a place to live, uh, having a church family that looked after us. It was so amazing to see all of those things line up immediately as we moved here. And even now, I think of how God has changed lives through what I think is just kind of a mundane moment. I think it's like, okay, I'm talking to this person. I don't think anything's going to come of this. Or I'm looking at this sermon on Sunday morning at, uh, you know, 4 or 5 or 6 a.m., whatever time it is that I need to get reminded of what it is I'm talking. I'm like, man, this is total trash. I don't know if anyone that's going to be touched by this. Just, Lord, get us through to 1201. And, uh, you know, there's always a next week. I just feel awful about it. And someone comes up afterwards or shares that week, man, God said this to me, I know what I need to do, and I just walk away going, really? <laughs> like, like, that happened? That's amazing. Um, just those mundane moments of ministry, volunteering in kids' church, and someone gives their life to Christ. You didn't know it was coming. Serving at an outreach and making a meaningful conversation where you have a chance to pray for someone. One time when I was away in Myanmar, my wife got a knock on the door from a woman who was clearly in distress, and she just said, I just want someone to pray with me. Now, normally, we don't really care for living in a parsonage because you're right next to the church, and everyone knows you live in a parsonage, and you're right there, and everyone comes to your door whenever. But this was great. Little blessings, little moments that my wife wouldn't normally get if we lived in a regular neighborhood. Remembering how the Lord has been amazing in the past and use little things that we've done. We had a pie night last night. All we did was come together and practice gluttony. Forgive us, Lord. And we raised $360 for Food Link, which will be doubled to $720 and beyond. I mean, it's amazing. We so many pies were donated. So much money was raised. It is amazing what a little act of faith can do in the hands of God. And remembering those things, remembering those stories. You have those stories. 
You have those stories corporately in the church. You have stories from the churches you've grown up in and been in. You have stories of how God has been faithful to you, and you know stories of how God has been faithful to them, and you know the universal story that we're going to celebrate next week of how God is faithful to everyone. We can wait patiently by remembering how the Lord has been amazing in the past. One thing that's helped me in this somewhat, because I'm not really good at it, is just to journal. Have some things that I've needed to pray for, I'll write them down in an app, and I have di different versions of them. I have book form, app form, uh, pieces of paper from college. Every once in a while, I'll find it and think back, oh yeah, I remember that. We can wait patiently by remembering the amazing things the Lord has done. But, what does that lead us to? Renewal of our commitment to Him. This is what David writes in verse 6. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you didn't require. Then I said, here I am. I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. We can wait patiently on the Lord by remembering, and we can wait patiently on the Lord by renewing our commitment to Him. That's what David did. He renewed his desire to serve the Lord above all else. And this is the king of the nation who could have done a lot of other things. And he said, my ultimate priority is not even to serve the nation. It's to serve the Lord. That's amazing. That's why I love Sundays, to be honest. I love Sunday worship services because every Sunday is an opportunity for people to renew their commitment. It's a chance to renew our commitment to God, which is what we talked about as we talked about Palm Sunday. To get it right, we need to renew our commitment to sacrifice and serve what the Lord wants to do when He comes. It's a chance to renew our commitment to the Lord. A song may speak to us, a presentation, a video, the message, a conversation we have before or after church around coffee and today pie. Because God wants to put His law on our hearts. He wants to give us His Spirit to understand His Word. He wants to move our heart and soul and mind and strength to what is most glorious, what is most good, which is Him. It's, it's like a ceremony where a husband and a wife renew their vows. You ever seen a vow renewal ceremony or read about a vow renewal ceremony? They're amazing. Because it's not the full expenditure and all the clothes and all the everything for the first time. This is just a couple saying, this is what we said so many years ago. And it's still true. I still do. That kind of commitment, we get to do that with Jesus, with God, once a week. When we gather together on Sunday, someone in our midst... Someone who's participating online, someone who's watching on demand is going, I'm going to recommit. I'm going to renew my commitment to the Lord. We get to do that. That's Sunday. And that's what David did as he was waiting for the Lord to answer his
request for him to be rescued, for him to be saved, for him to be lifted up, he renewed his commitment to the Lord. But he didn't keep that to himself. He didn't just wait patiently by remembering. He didn't just wait patiently by renewing. He waited patiently by sharing. But he shared something specific with the people around him. Look at verse 9. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. We can wait patiently by remembering. We can wait patiently by renewing our commitment. And we can wait patiently on the Lord by sharing the Lord's story with other people. See, what happens in our situations and circumstances is that we often lift up the situation and circumstances. We talk to other people and say, hey, look at what I'm stuck in. Look at what I'm in. And it becomes kind of a woe is me party or a, 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 a pity party or something like that. But this isn't that. This is about sharing the faith journey that we're on and making sure that God's work is elevated above the circumstance. And when we do that, it's not that we're you know, putting on a stiff upper lip and it's not that we're not in real deep pain. It's not that we're not in a tough spot. It lifts our spirits above our circumstances and gives us perspective. It gives us the big picture. And that's worth talking about to other people. You're not faking it. You're not dialing it in. It's a way to strengthen their faith when you say, I know God's got me. I don't know how, but that's how God works, right? People have been in tougher situations than me, and He's going to guide. He's going to lead. That's what He does. That's how He's done it in the past. And we're elevating His story, His character, above our situation. Now, that doesn't mean it's not wrong to share our struggles and be authentic. After all, the Psalms are filled with those kinds of deep personal questions. But here's what David realized, is that struggles are opportunities to turn to God and remember that He is bigger than our circumstances. If our circumstances are bigger than God, get a new God. But God is bigger than anything you face. God is bigger than any challenge that is in front of you. God is bigger. And when we think of who He is, it elevates us to see the big picture of His character versus our circumstances. So we can wait patiently by remembering how the Lord has been amazing in the past. We can wait patiently by renewing our commitment to obey and serve. And we can wait patiently on the Lord by sharing with others what God has been doing. But there's one more thing. And when combined with these other three, it really changes the way how this last thing we can do helps us to wait patiently. It shapes how we can come to God in the first place. Because we can wait patiently on the Lord simply by praying for Him to act quickly. 
We can ask for him to move, and we can ask for him to do it soon. Look at what he says in verse 11. Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me, for troubles without numbers surround me. My sins have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. May all who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say, the Lord is great. But as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. We wait patiently by remembering. We wait patiently by renewing. We wait patiently by sharing. And we wait patiently by asking for mercy for the Lord to act quickly. And it's amazing that we can do that, right? Amen? It's amazing that we can ask a good and holy God for mercy for our circumstance and for the most important things, especially our sin. We can come to God and ask Him to make life right for us. And we can trust Him that He will make our lives right before Him. It's interesting that when we wait on God and we're we're thinking of all the awesome things He's done, where we're renewing our commitment to Him, when we're sharing His story above our own circumstances, that, that those three acts create margin in our lives to get right with God. Because here's the thing about the human heart. It takes time for our hearts to be in a place where they're open to repentance. That's just the way we are. I mean, that's the five stages of grief. The first stage is what? Denial. Nope, that's not me. Nope, it takes us time to get to a place where we need mercy, where we understand our need for mercy. And waiting on the Lord in these other three ways gives us margin to get to this place. It gives us the right attitude that says, And God, if you don't act, we have nothing. We need you to act. We need you to act quickly. We're often the last people on earth to know the truth about ourselves. True? Absolutely, it's true. We are sometimes not who we desire to be, and we are sometimes not who we think we are. And sometimes that's cultural conditioning. We just kind of get absorbed into the larger culture, and we get this picture in our mind of who we are that we really aren't. But let's face it, sometimes we just flat out lie to ourselves. It's not that bad. I'm not that bad. I can fight my way out of this. I can do it, etc., You see, we all like to think that we're kind, generous, and loving, and people will tell us that because we're good Christian people and this is church and we don't want to offend. 
and that all the time we want what's best for others. That's what we all strive for, and all we want is to serve the Lord. That's our goal. That's our aim. The problem is that's not always true, is it? Sometimes our problems are caused by the sins of others, and sometimes our problems are caused by our own sins. And we just need that margin, that time for us to go through the five stages of spiritual grieving, move us through denial and so on to get to a place where we know that God can act and we just simply ask because of who He is that He will do it quickly. And we want what's most important. We want our sins to be forgiven before Him. And waiting gives us that time. He will always tell us what's best because He is holy, because He is good, and He will never sin against us. He will always tell us what we need to hear at the exact moment that we hear it because He is holy, because He is good, and He will never sin against us. He knows what we need the most and will bring that to light when we have the openness to hear the truth. And that means we can ask God to act quickly. We can ask God for mercy. We can ask God for mercy from even our sins. We can wait patiently for Him, knowing that He won't just make life right, but He will make our lives right. And we can ask Him to do that quickly. So those are the four things. That's how David waited with eager anticipation, waited patiently for the Lord to work. He remembered what the Lord has done. He renewed his desire to follow and serve. He shared God's story above his circumstances, and he prayed for God to act quickly and show mercy. And we can do the same. We can wait patiently in the meantime by remembering what God has done, the amazing things that He's done both corporately, universally, and individually. We can do so by renewing our desire to obey and serve. We can share God's story over our circumstances, and we can pray for Him to act quickly and show mercy. As we close, let me just ask you, which one of those do you need now? Do you need to remember the amazing things that God has done in your life? That God has done for all people? Maybe you need to sit down and take some time this afternoon and just write some things down. This is what the Lord has done in the last month, in the last year. And if you struggle with that, ask Him to show you. Maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe you need to renew your commitment to obey, to serve. Maybe you need to start sharing God's story and who He is above your circumstances and what you're facing. Maybe as you do all those things, you just need to pray and be reminded that God is a good God who knows what you need when you need it. And that you can ask Him to act quickly on your behalf. Including 
to show you mercy in the forgiveness of your sins. I know it. You know it. We all know it. Waiting is hard. But we can wait patiently when we're waiting on the Lord. We can wait expectantly when we're waiting on the Lord. If, if we don't waste the waiting. Let me pray for you. Holy Spirit, we ask you in this moment to help us remember the amazing things you have done in our lives. Individually, corporately, universally, help us. We can't write them all down. But when we begin to recount all that you have done, we are we're blown away by the amazing things you do on, on just our behalf. We can renew our commitment to obey and serve. Out above all the things we can do with our lives, obeying and serving you is the best, is the most good because you are holy. You are the most good and you could never sin against us. We can share that story of who you are above our circumstances. And we can come to you and ask that you would work quickly, that you would show us mercy, especially when it comes to confronting and repenting of our sin. We can ask you for that. That's what we can do in the meantime when you choose to answer our prayers with a wait or just silence. We don't have to waste the waiting. Would you help us to leverage the time between us asking and when you are going to answer that prayer? Would you help us to leverage the time in the meantime? in a way that helps us to wait patiently on you. We know that you're a good God. We know that you are a holy God, that you will never sin against us. So help us to wait patiently for, on you. Help us not to waste the waiting, we pray in Jesus' name.